In the wizarding justice system, the people are represented by two separate-ish and equally biased groups. The Aurors, who investigate criminals, and the Council of Magical Law, who arbitrarily punish them. These are their stories. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for litigators. You have been brought here before the Council of Magical Law so that we may pass judgment on you for a crime so heinous. Father, Father, please, that we have rarely heard the like of it within this court. Father, I didn't. I didn't. I swear it, Father. Don't send me back to the Dementors. I'm Heather Price Wright. And I'm Alex Dallenberg. Welcome to Law and Order, Harry Potter edition, aka The Quibbler. We are reading this week chapters from Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire called The Dream and The Pensive. In this podcast, you will hear lots and lots of spoilers for this and past and future Harry Potter books. You will also hear plenty of cursing and some adult themes. This week's adult themes are athlete privilege, jury duty, fathers and sons, insane asylums, and memory lane. Alex, what happened this week? In this week's chapters, the Golden Trio are trying to figure out what the hell happened with Barty Crouch at the edge of the forest. Ron has some really stupid ideas. What are Ron's ideas? He's like, what if Mr. Crouch, like, stunned himself and then, like, jumped on a bird and flew away or something? His ideas make no sense. Basically, those are them. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, they write Sirius to tell him what's up. Sirius tells Harry not to stray out of bounds anymore because obviously somebody is trying to hurt him. Also, when they're sending this letter, they overhear Fred and George saying that they're blackmailing somebody. So what's going on there? That's illegal, even in the wizarding world. That's such a weird, like, Z plot. (laughs) Like, meanwhile, Fred and George are embroiled in their own, like, crazy, like, dark web, like, criminal scam. (laughs) Fred and George are, like, trying to figure out how to, like, skim bitcoins or something like that. I don't know. Something like that. Can't believe I brought up bitcoin. That's okay. It's better than Jurassic Park. (laughs) I disagree. Jurassic Park is better. Way better. Dinosaurs are better than bitcoin for all time. The trio ask Mad-Eye Moody what he thinks. He's like, you guys are really cracking this case wide open. In the meantime, Harry has to get ready for the third task, which is navigating a maze, but who knows what's going to be in it? Dragons? I don't know. Probably everything that's appeared in the last three and a half books, if the rest of this book is any indication. Will there be Grindy Lows? I don't know. Probably a blast ended screwed. I think that's that actually happens. I think that's actually true. What are they called? Hippie cocks? No. Hippie cocks? Hippogriffs? No. Hippie cocks? What the, <laughs> hippie cocks? What the fuck are you talking about? Hinky punks. <laughs> Hinky punks. I'm sorry. I, I could hear the syllables and I could hear the very beginning, but I didn't know the word at all. Oh, Remus Lupin. Today we're going to talk about hippie cocks. <laughs> There's going to be like shit in the maze, so Harry has to practice. He practices stunning spells uh, and other hexes in empty classrooms that they have to sneak into. Why can't they just book like classroom time even in band we could like get a practice room that's fair. this seems 
uh, somebody you, should write a letter to Dumbledore. Could you about have gotten this. a practice room to curse one another, though? Probably not. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe not, but certainly there's like a gymnasium or something. No, they do essentially no physical activity. If you are not on the Quidditch team, you. I don't understand how they're not all 800 pounds. I guess it's. Yeah, especially given the food that they're they fed. They eat super rich food and there's no PE. Uh, they had one flying lesson. And the flying lesson resulted in, okay, Harry Potter, you're the seeker. Everyone else, you don't need to use a broom ever again. It's just, Precisely. It's just McGonagall sorting out prospects. I guess they climb a lot of stairs. Fair. Harry's practicing stunning spells. He doesn't need to practice Expelliarmus. As Hermione points out, he's pretty damn good at that one. Okay, we that gotta... Will probably come, that'll, probably come in, that'll probably come in handy. Yeah, it will. It'll come in handy. In divinations class, Harry falls asleep because it smells like a bath and body works constantly. And it's like 85 degrees. And yeah, and Trelawney like keeps it, like the furnace like jacked up because she's always has a fire going. It's like early June at this point. So it's way too warm. It's above room temperature. Harry Potter falls asleep and has a crazy fucking dream where he's riding on an eagle owl toward a spooky looking house and he sees a scary armchair. I The armchair is not described as scary, but I'm assuming it's menacing looking. And Wormtail's in front of the armchair. There's a giant snake and Wormtail is having an argument with like something in the armchair, which is ba 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 motherfucking Lord Voldemort is like, Wormtail, you fucked this up. Luckily, it got unfucked, this owl told me right now. I'm, like, <laughs> butchering this. Wormtail fucked something up. It got unfucked because the thing he got fucked up got fucked up himself and died. Crucio Voldemort tortures Peter Pettigrew. Harry wakes up, clutching a scar, screaming in the middle of class. Professor Trelawney is not upset by this disruption. In fact, she is super fucking hella psyched. She's like... Did you see into the great beyond? Let's explore this feeling. Harry says, I have to leave. I gotta go to the hospital wing. I need a magical headache cure, which I guess is just aspirin, probably. Wizards can't cure headaches. They have to get muggle drugs. I don't know if that's true. Why doesn't Madame Promptree just have, like, Advils? Because Maybe they live she in the Middle Ages. They do. Anyway... Harry Potter does not go to the hospital wing. Instead, he heads straight toward Professor Dumbledore's office, as Sirius told him to do if his scar ever hurt him again. Harry doesn't remember the password when he gets to the gargoyle, but luckily Dumbledore has horrible password security because Harry just shouts out various candies and sweets until he gets the answer right. The answer is Cockroach Cluster, a sleeper favorite of Albus Dumbledore's, Disgusting. apparently. Disgusting. Yeah, Harry's like, Cockroach Cluster? What the fuck? I did not want to know that. <laughs> um, could be that Dumbledore just likes the alliteration. He might also be into sustainable foods. Yeah, maybe it's like eating chocolate-covered ants. He's like, yo, we should all be eating bugs, high sources of protein, and we don't have to factory farm them. Yeah, so that's another trend J.K. Rowling is on top of. Harry goes up the stairs to Dumbledore's office. Dumbledore is in the middle of a super intense conversation with Cornelius Fudge, the Minister of Magic, and Mad-Eye Moody. They're talking about what the fuck happened to Barty Crouch. Fudge doesn't have many useful suggestions. He's like, maybe it was Madame Maxime. You know what she is, Dumbledore. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more, say no more. Dumbledore's like, 
Madame Maxime would never do that, and she's amazing at dancing. Also, lay off Hagrid, because Fudge is like, you like have a soft spot for giants. Anyway, Moody sees Harry lurking because he has a magic eye. Dumbledore and company leave to go inspect the forest. Fudge needs to see the scene of the crime for some fucking reason. Harry's chilling in Dumbledore's office. He sees something shimmering inside of a... What is it? Wardrobe? Or it's like a cabinet. It's a cabinet. It's not a wardrobe. That's a different story. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Harry walks through the wardrobe into a magical biblical allegory. <laughs> Harry can't fucking help himself because he just likes to touch shit. So he opens the cabinet. There's this crazy, like, basin with this shimmering kind of ethereal... It's not liquid. It's not quite air. I don't know. It looks awesome. It's like some fucking Mirror of Gladriel shit. Harry's like, well, I shouldn't touch this because I know you shouldn't just touch random shit in the magical world, so instead I'm going to poke it with my wand. Harry pokes the substance in the basin with his wand. It kind of metamorphs into a vision of this large room with a bunch of witches and wizards in it. Harry, like, leans his face super fucking close to take a look, falls in to the basin, and bam, he's, like, back in the past. He deduces based on previous experiences, because no one can see him there. Anyway, he sees in this chamber a series of trials, first of Igor Karkaroff, who has struck a plea deal with the Ministry of Magic to surrender names of various Voldemort-linked supporters. He hasn't even struck a plea deal. Oh, that's true. He's (laughs) naming names in hopes that they'll give him a plea deal. Which is backwards in so many ways. That, but we'll that get seems to that like a later. bad legal strategy. Yeah, not but of great. course, Karkarov doesn't have legal representation because they don't exist in the wizarding world. One of the names Karkarov volunteers is Snape. Dumbledore's like, no, Snape turned spy for us. He's legit now. I'm vouching for him. Karkarov says, no, I swear. He's like still a loyal supporter of Voldemort. Scene change. Ludo Bagman is being brought into the chamber. He was caught passing information to Augustus Rookwood, who was a dark mole in the... Not an actual mole. You know what I mean. A mole mole. People should check out dark moles. Yeah. (laughs) You need to go to the dermatologist, bro. Who was... Yeah, he was like... He accidentally passed some information to Rookwood, who was like a fucking supporter of Voldemort. He gets off because everyone is super psyched about his performance for the English national Quidditch team against Turkey the previous week. Scene change again, and four Death Eaters are being led into the Chamber of Judgment or whatever, this, like, literal star chamber, basically. And one of them is motherfucking Barty Crouch Jr. They've all been accused of torturing the Auror, Frank Longbottom and his wife, Alice, the council passes a life sentence of Azkaban on them. Barty Crouch Jr. is like, no, father, please, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. Barty Crouch Sr. says, you're no son of mine. The wife faints. Present-day Dumbledore shows up, and he's like, let's go back to the future, Harry. Pulls him up out of the pensive. Dumbledore explains what the fuck just happened to Harry. He's like, this is my crazy thought bowl, where I put... (laughs) 
things, I think. Harry's like, was I just swimming in your thoughts? Dumbledore says, yes, you were. Dumbledore shows him some other visions in the Pensieve of Snape telling him that something is getting clearer every day and that Voldemort is gaining power. Uh, one of Bertha Jorkins being super nosy. Harry tells Dumbledore about the dream and the scar hurting. Dumbledore says that his scar hurts when Voldemort is near or when he's feeling particularly, like, hateful. So that's cool. Dumbledore paces a lot and drops more mind grapes into the basin, you know? <laughs> mind grapes. Uh, and then he's like, callback. good luck on the third task, Harry. LOL, bye. Yeah, good luck processing all of this. Uh, maybe Dumbledore should get Harry his own pensive, because Harry has a lot to think about. Also, Dumbledore has said Snape is for sure a good guy. Harry says, why? Dumbledore's like, you're going to have to wait until book seven to know about that, Harry. And that's what happens in this week's chapters. These chapters are filled with incredibly negligent adults. Just like everybody is giving bad advice and not trying very hard. So let's start with the advice that both Mad-Eye, who like, I know Mad-Eye doesn't count because Mad-Eye is like <laughs> actively the bad guy. But the other, the um, Sirius also gives the advice like, stick to the castle, which fine. That actually doesn't end up being very good advice because like Mad-Eye's there. But also just like stay with Ron and Hermione, which is like, what are they going to do? I mean... They did help Harry get through the Sorcerer's Stone obstacles in year one. As Mad-Eye points out, Barty Crouch Jr. is like, wow, you've been through some shit before. Yeah, but that's not good advice. They shouldn't have had to do that. Right. Like, it's not useful. Yeah. <laughs> it's not useful to be like, well, stick with your other two child pals. And like, maybe if Voldemort comes back, he'll get all three of you. First of all, I'm wondering, because Mad-Eye makes that suggestion and it's like, does he want Hermione and Ron dead too? Or is he just sort of talking out his ass? But Sirius, I'm like, Sirius, this is not helpful. Like, you're not being a helpful adult. Like, offer some advice that isn't like, Hermione will probably save you. She's 14, but she's very smart. <laughs> Number two negligent is Dumbledore. Obviously, you is, saw that coming. Is totally missing this moody thing. Which is shocking, because Dumbledore has known Moody for, like, decades and decades. And, like, I just, there's no way Barty Crouch is that good an actor. Like, Dumbledore should notice that something is amiss. Number one, I mean, this guy is like the Daniel Day-Lewis of method acting. Even if he's the Daniel Day-Lewis of method acting, somebody would have been like, you're not really Abraham Lincoln, though. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. I just... Dumbledore is not paying attention. Also, Moody is being really fucking shady. We've talked about this before. Every time something super weird happens, Moody sort of like five minutes later appears from nowhere and is like, oh, did something weird happen? And Dumbledore <laughs> isn't ever like, uh, yeah, exactly where you're standing. I don't know. I mean, this particular plot element has its like good parts and bad parts, you know? Oh. I mean... Mostly bad parts. Oh, no, we like... We've come around a little bit. There's like interesting things literarily that happen. It's That's fair. Like you get a weird... It gives it a whole level of like malevolence and creepiness that we decided we like. But in terms of it being a well-oiled machine of a plot, 
no. No. It doesn't make sense that Dumbledore wouldn't have a single, well, although whatever, he didn't fucking know that Quirrell had Voldemort living on him. That actually seemed like a much more blatant, I don't know, what, which, which do you think is worse? Dumbledore missing Voldemort living as a parasite on someone's head or someone going incognito? I guess Moody is harder to catch because of the polyjuice Disagree. Potion. Disagree. Because Quirrell was acting exactly like Quirrell. Like he had always, he had been a weirdo. Right. Moody, like, like I said, like Dumbledore knows this guy. I guess he must be catching like there's I just it doesn't make any sense unless he's really 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 just like blinded by his like longtime friendship with Moody he must be like even for Mad-Eye you are being a fucking weirdo yeah I don't know this aspect of it is tough it's just really creaky it makes you on the other hand this plot they've concocted is, like, so insane. How could anyone follow it? Well, it's Dumbledore, though. Like, it just, he's supposed to have the best judgment and be the most discerning and the wisest person in the world. Well, good thing Voldemort and Barty Crouch Jr. cooked up the most ridiculous plan of all time to... And it's working. <laughs> That's the thing, is Voldemort by... Okay, so, like, we're meant to understand that Voldemort is not smarter than Dumbledore that Voldemort is afraid of Dumbledore because he knows that Dumbledore can defeat him but like instead Dumbledore is like hey servant of Lord Voldemort why don't you come into my office with the minister of magic and hear like every single detail of what we think is happening how much we know where Harry Potter is at literally all times. Also, here's a map to show you the location of the child you want to kill at every moment of every day. I mean, that's not Dumbledore's fault. That's Harry's fault. This is all Dumbledore's fault. Dumbledore invited this guy to teach and then didn't say, like, you're being sketchballs. I think if Dumbledore is the character that we're given to understand Dumbledore is, he should catch on. It is crazy that he is not catching on. That is negligent. Maybe it's because he's dumping half his brain into a basin. <laughs> it's true. And like not looking it's at like, it. You might be overusing the pencil. <laughs> Trelawney is just being a fucking ambulance chaser. Yeah, she's all here for a kid suddenly screaming in the middle of class. Right. She thinks she can take advantage of it and make herself seem like more clairvoyant because like whatever her vibes are making Harry have visions. How freaky would that be? You're sitting in class and somebody just starts screaming their head off. I mean, terrifying, but also if you're in class with Harry Potter, like weird shit tends to happen. Just like deep. Yeah, but that'd be like deeply unsettling. I mean, it's all deeply of a sudden, unsettling. The boy who lived is like clutching his scar on the floor. What? Yeah, everything that happens at Hogwarts is deeply unsettling. It's also <laughs> deeply unsettling that the boy who lived has his death predicted like once to twice a week by his teacher. That's an unsettling conversation that they witness every week. <laughs> but anyway, Trelawney is like, oh, yes, he's freaking the fuck out of my classroom. This is going to be great. And he's like, I have to go to the hospital wing. And she's like, oh, wait, no, shan't we investigate the paranormal? And he's like, what the fuck? She's not wrong. He is having a vision. I know, but it's not up to her to be like, stay in class. Let's talk it out in front of all your peers. Like, nobody's taking care of anybody. Nobody's taking care of anybody except the three are taking care of each other. Sort of. Mostly. The trio. Yeah. As all best right. they can. They're children. And then we have Fudge, who is just totally missing the boat 
on everything. He thinks Madame Maxime might be... He doesn't really believe that, does he? Yeah, he does. He's super fucking bigoted. He's like, well, Crouch did disappear really near a giant. And Dumbledore's like, <laughs> what? Do you think she ate him? Yeah, that's the weird <laughs> thing. Like, is does she think that she, like, ground his bones to make her bread? Like, what the fuck? I guess so. Um, Fudge he- has always been underwhelming, but Fudge has really started to come into his own as... As a as a bad guy yeah Yeah. well he doesn't give a shit about his colleagues he's like oh you know it's possible barty just finally went crazy and it's like okay that doesn't concern you you don't maybe want to check that he's like okay he thinks that bertha jorkins like kind of had it coming we're sort of meant to understand that because she's we? like gossipy. Yeah, we see that vision in the pensive it, that Bertha Jorkins was like kind of a gossip and like a little bit had her nose in other people's business. Therefore, she deserved to get murdered yeah, by Voldemort. and I guess... I'm sorry, Harry mumbled. Dumbledore shook his head. Curiosity is not a sin, he said. But we should exercise caution with our curiosity. Yes, indeed. Frowning slightly, he prodded the thoughts within the basin with the tip of his wand. Instantly a figure rose out of it, a plump, scowling girl of about sixteen, who began to revolve slowly with her feet still in the basin. She took no notice whatsoever of Harry or Professor Dumbledore. When she spoke, her voice echoed as Snape's had done, as though it were coming from the depths of the stone basin. "'He put a hex on me, Professor Dumbledore.' And I was only teasing him, sir. I only said I'd seen him kissing Florence behind the greenhouses last Thursday. But why, Bertha? said Dumbledore sadly, looking up at the now silently revolving girl. Why did you have to follow him in the first place? Bertha? Harry whispered, looking up at her. Is that... was that Bertha Jorkins? Yes, said Dumbledore, prodding the thoughts in the basin again. Bertha sank back into them, and they became silvery and opaque once more. That was Bertha, as I remember her at school. I don't know, I find that a little disconcerting. Because even, yeah, like, Sirius is like, I don't know, Bertha was a dumb bitch. Well, J.K. Rowling has a really, really, really hard view of gossip. Yeah. Like, she thinks that it's, like, a really serious character flaw, which I kind of disagree with. But she, like, punishes people incredibly severely for being gossipy in these books. So I can see her making that, like, a fatal flaw where it doesn't make a ton of sense for it to be something that, like, ruins your life. But for JK, I think she thinks that it's, like, a really, 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 really serious character deficit yeah i just that bertha has to get punished for it by being murdered is i know i don't yeah the idea that we're supposed to kind of blame bertha for her own fate are we supposed to what do you think yeah i think i mean we're given to understand enough times like that she was gossipy and kind of a bitch that we're supposed to feel like it's really ominous but i don't think we're supposed to feel a ton of sympathy for bertha herself which I think is really vicious, actually. Sirius is so mean about it. Yeah, well, Sirius <laughs> Oh, is... Sirius is like a hardened inmate of Azkaban, so I guess it would make sense that Sirius 
Maybe has lost some of his ability to uh, feel empathy. I wouldn't be surprised if he was a fairly hardcore misogynist. He seems really shocked by Hermione's intellect and he only seems to really have men in his life except for like sort of the wives of his friends who he... The wags. Yeah, the wags, exactly. The marauder wags. Of whom there's only one because, you know, we ship the other two. But either way, I guess Tonks is eventually a wag, but like Sirius doesn't even really know that. He never gets to see them together. Wags is wives and girlfriends. I think most people know that. Maybe if you don't, yeah, that's what that means. Um, Just like nobody's taking any of this shit super duper seriously. It sort of tacks with victim blaming in media where especially in kind of sensationalist murder stories where you kind of where it's like well you sort of of walked right into that there's a lot of focus on the victim's decisions when i saw this on like tlc i was like on summer vacation or something and it was a hundred ways to die which is one of these cable shows with like commercials every few seconds and like it's a horrible thing for a hypochondriac to watch by the way yeah uh, not a great idea i have some tendencies toward but every so every sketch was about someone dying in a random way and they were sort of dramatized but every single sketch seemed to imply that the victim like super had it coming like there was this one woman that she got like a staph infection from a cutting herself like shaving her legs but she was like an escort like living in a vegas hotel like sort of a high flying life and it was like very like then she left the her life of lascivious extravagance and her face rotted off or something i was like what that has nothing like she her razor was dirty i don't know in that case it's very like her vanity like oh yeah because she i don't was know an escort like of course she had to have perfectly smooth legs so that the men who were paying her for sex could like run their hands up it it's she like, did no. need to have smooth legs well, that was part of the like trade right also, i like, don't know misogyny says that we are all supposed to be perfectly smooth beings all over okay we can't get too far down this rabbit hole but you're right like it's very like it's kind of like oh well what were you wearing it's right. like because bertha is a nosy per- which like nosiness maybe i don't know I'm a nosy person, so maybe, I mean, there's a lot of bias in me tending to think that, like, on the grand scale of, like, ways in which you can be a shitty person, like, I don't think it's that high. But regardless, I mean, we have the curiosity killed the cat expression, so clearly that's something that, like, as a culture we blame people for, like, hard. So no one seems to be taking any of these events very seriously is like the basic gist. Everybody's advice to Harry is like, okay, well, practice Expelliarmus a bunch. Good luck in the third task, LOL. Maybe figure out a way that he doesn't have to walk right into the open jaws of death. Yeah. All of you clearly think that he might die in the third task. Maybe fucking do something about that rather than be like, you should really practice disarming and stunning. Yeah, there's clearly some serious shit going on. So I think the fact that the Triwizard Judge showed up looking completely wild as fuck and like babbling out of his mind is enough reason to maybe cancel, cancel the tournament. Cancel the third task. Also, or now he's just gone. Indefinitely? I don't know, but I guess... You gotta do what the cup says. The cup is like Yo, dictator of the world. Fuck the cup. I'm so sick of doing what this stupid fucking drinking implement says. Who even made this fucking cup? I don't know. We don't know anything about this cup. Why should we trust it? It, it wasn't even Gryffindor's cup. No. 
Don't trust Gryffindor or, anyway. I guess though. Helga Hufflepuff has the cup. A cup. Yeah, a different. It's a separate cup. Fucking different. They should have used chalice. Hufflepuff's cup. Yeah, except she would oh, have wait, been like. Oh wait, except it's Horcrux. Yeah, I'm so glad never they didn't mind. use that. Um, fuck the goblet. So speaking of magical objects, let's talk about the pensive. Yes. So the pensive is up there with the Marauder's Map as one of my favorite magical objects. What is it? Harry asked shakily. This it is called a pensive, said Dumbledore. I sometimes find, and I'm sure you know the feeling, that I simply have too many thoughts and memories crammed into my mind. Uh, said Harry, who couldn't truthfully say that he had ever felt anything of the sort. At these times, said Dumbledore, indicating the stone basin, I use the pensive. One simply siphons the excess thoughts from one's mind, pours them into the basin, and examines them at one's leisure. It becomes easier to spot patterns and links, you understand, when they are in this form. It's also really funny to me because the pensive and how Dumbledore uses it tracks exactly with a lot of personal productivity systems, like getting things done, which is this book by David Allen, who's sort of a weirdo uh, himself. But it's like, if you ever go to like lifehacker.com, this is like getting things done is like the ur text of personal productivity. Anyway, the whole idea of it is to get things off your mind and capture them in like a reliable system or space. It could be like a notebook or a computer program. So you like just take everything out of your head whenever you think of it and put it there for like later reference and it's organized in a very specific way and we won't like get into it all there but that's what Dumbledore is doing with the pensive yeah Dumbledore's a life hacker yeah he's just life hacking which is hilarious it is also a thing where every time I think about the pensive I'm just like this would be really useful to have I guess if you do the GTD system or like anything like that you sort of have it but you don't actually because like the thing that's incredible about this is the thoughts are like perfectly preserved as they come out of your head. Right. And you can examine them with like such clarity. Although clearly Dumbledore doesn't use it that well because <laughs> he's utterly lacking in clarity. A thing that I will say I have a quibble about is that the kind of mechanism of dropping into the pensive, much like chapters two weeks ago where it was like, oh wow, you're using the Marauder's Map exactly the same way as in book three. This is basically the diary in book two. Which like, Harry even thinks of. He's like dropped in to Dumbledore's memory. He's looking around. He's like, nobody seems to notice that I'm here. Oh, fuck. I'm in someone's memory again. I know this. Yeah. <laughs> Which it's like just more proof for me that like as fun as this book is, it's so overstuffed that it's like pretty sloppy in places. She couldn't have changed this up even a tiny bit. Like even the sort of like the whooshing kind of like cold whatever feeling that he gets like falling into the pensive is almost exactly the same experience as like falling into the diary. It's just like. that. Maybe again, that's what it's like to be in someone's memory. But it's just a retread. It bugs me that you can't. That It's just like this recycled description. Like yeah. just in terms of how this book is constructed. Like this like the Marauder's Map trick I think is really lazy. I like the pensive a lot. I just wish that we hadn't seen like almost exactly the same device two books ago. It becomes different and like the way the pensive gets used in the future in these books is like gets even more interesting. But 
for now, it's like it's exactly the same plot device as you can as the diary to the point that you even like learn similar kinds of like revelations. Yeah. And Dumbledore is even in it. He's like, oh yeah, I've been randomly standing next to past Dumbledore like <laughs> pretty recently actually. And that time Voldemort was there and this time his supporters are there and like, wow, everything's the same. But you're right. It's like hilarious that Dumbledore is just like a productivity life hacker. Yeah, man. He's getting things off mind to be delegated, deferred, or examined later. He's got his like... Someday maybe pensive set up and is like next actions pensive. <laughs> I don't know. I do a little. I do a little GTD myself. Oh, I have a pensive. Boy. You do. My pensive is called Omnifocus, and I put everything in it that I think. Yeah, and it's like it's, not the least annoying. It's not as cool as Dumbledore's thing. It's like a lot less ethereal, a lot more text based. It is a purple app, which is maybe kind of like mystical yeah i think of purple as a mystical color yeah dumbledore likes likes purple he likes squashy purple sleeping bags and squashy purple armchairs so you know so what do we see in the pensive we see these three trials we see the trials of karkarov bagman and barty crouch jr and his associates which includes bellatrix lestrange which is exciting first even though time we see her we don't is know she, her yet she's, she hasn't been identified yet has she no, no she we she, don't know who she is yeah, but, but she turns around and she's like so imperiously like you'll see you'll all see and i can't help it i know she's like the evilest of the evil but i i like bellatrix as a character she's right i mean she's totally right we shall all see so karkarov is first he's naming names my question is do we think he's genuinely reformed you see you have names for us karkaroff said mr crouch let us hear them please you must understand said karkaroff hurriedly that he who must not be named operated always in the greatest secrecy he preferred that we i mean to say his supporters and I regret now very deeply that I ever counted myself among them. Get on with it, sneered Moody. We never knew the names of every one of our fellows. He alone knew exactly who we all were. Which was a wise move, wasn't it, as it prevented someone like you, Karkaroff, from turning all of them in, muttered Moody. Yet you say you have some names for us, said Mr. Crouch. I... I do, said Karkaroff breathlessly, and these were important supporters, mark you, people I saw with my own eyes doing his bidding. I give this information as a sign that I fully and totally renounce him, and am filled with a remorse so deep I can barely... These names are, said Mr. Crouch sharply. I think he's reformed only in so much as I don't really think that he was a Voldemort ally in the first place so much as just like he goes where the power is. So I think that he doesn't really care about either like ideological bent. He's sort of like. He's a star fucker. He's a star fucker. With like crumb, you know. Yeah. He's like he's really too into like crumbs hold celebrity. I think he tends dark kind of like aesthetically (laughs) just with like he likes evil looking goatees i mean like he's kind of jafar ish yeah we've said that before 
I don't think that he was ever all that aligned with Voldemort to begin with is kind of my impression. He was just sort of like, I mean, he enough swings to be a, where the power swing goes. Enough to be a Death Eater, though. He got the tattoo. Right. I mean, but not because he like really, yeah. he's not a true believer in anything except himself and his own alignment with whatever is like in. That makes sense. So I think he's naming names... The same way he would have named names to Voldemort when Voldemort was in power. So it's just like, He's you sort know, of the Pettigrew, but smarter. Smarter. And like, I, I think he's less terrible than Pettigrew because like, well, maybe we just don't know exactly like who he fucked over. So it doesn't like, we don't have the same like attachment to the people as we did to like James and Lily that Pettigrew fucked over. But Karkarov seems like essentially harmless to me. Like he's a not, f- not that harmless. Moody says he tortured muggles. Oh, that's true. No Death Eaters are harmless. Or he says that to Dumbledore. I, I think I guess what I mean is he seems virtually harmless today. Like he doesn't seem even when I read this book for the first time, like it's just hard to believe that Karkarov is is like the one we're looking for. Right. Because he's just like fucking lame. Our second suspect is Ludo fucking Bagman. Bagman. A.K.A. Retread Gilderoy Lockhart. (laughs) Down to not being that bright. Yeah. And super popular. So the fucked up thing in the Bagman trial. Bagman, there's no way he's the one. He's the best red herring because he's the most similar to like other outcomes in past books. Just in terms of, like, it's the person you would least suspect. Like, he's kind of similar to Quirrell. Yeah. So I can understand. Yeah, and kind of, like, maybe, like, significant, or, like, a lot like Lockhart. Like, potentially, like, significantly more sinister than his sort of, like, gregarious exterior would have you believe. So I get him as, like, a main sort of, like, who's up to no good suspect. The thing that's, like annoying and hilarious about his trial is just like the massive like athlete privilege he's extended yeah i don't think he did it well he did do it that's the thing. oh yeah i mean i don't think i think he's telling the truth that he didn't do it out of yeah he like thought rookwood was gonna get him a job well rookwood was a mole so what we were what 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 he's accused of in case we've forgotten is he was accused of passing information to an agent of Lord Voldemort but that agent was a double agent it was Rookwood who worked with him at the ministry worked for the ministry right he didn't work there told him he could get Bagman a job there right and Bagman was kind of like I can't get hit in the head with bludgers forever so that actually is hilariously like gives us a window into maybe why Ludo Bagman like isn't all that bright because he's got like <laughs> yes, he's hideous tra- traumatic brain injuries. So wow, but they like Rita Skeeter should do an expose about that. Yeah, if Rita Skeeter's gonna brain write it, injuries. yeah, exactly. Well, Quidditch injuries. Period. It's not the safest murder. It's ball. the least safe. Yeah, indeed. So when Bagman gets off, the whole court rises and claps, which is just like. It's so exactly what you see when these fucking pro athletes do like pretty heinous things and it's like exciting when they get off. Um, or it becomes part of their narrative. Like, like their like, personal brand. Overcame. Adversity, adversity, quote unquote. The adversity of having like raped someone. 
which is not what Bagman did, obviously. But that's what a lot of athletes in our day and time have done. Sorry, that's true though. Who is this jury? That's what I want to know. Yeah, I. Well, it's like we said in our like intro. It's like the police who arrest you sit on your jury. Yeah, how how do you get to be on the Council of Magical Law? It also seems like there's a lot of people. It's like well more than 12 angry wizards. Well, and Aurors sit on this council. Yeah. So And like Aurors are like arresting officers or like detectives, essentially. Judge, jury, executioner. But like literally is, all Well, that's three. literally what Crouch is, basically. Um, which is also like... There's no well, there isn't really a judge because Crouch isn't a judge. Like that's yeah, not his training. He he's not a lawman. Presiding officer. It seems but like he's a presiding officer who recommends sentencing. A legislative body. I, I don't know. It's really weird. It's almost like going back to like a really old model of justice, like in the Greek city states. Like the the polity would basically be the jury and hear like all the voters. Then you'd put, like, the sentence to, like, a vote. It was, like, everybody. Right, but this isn't that. Right, this, this is, is just people with a, an actual stake in it. Well, we don't know. We know there's ors, but we don't know who else is on it. Dumbledore. He's not an or. No, but Dumbledore is someone who has a personal stake. So is Fudge. So is all these people. Right. Like, they don't choose just, like, random jury witches and wizards. They choose people right. who are, it's like, not a jury involved in the process of, like finding and like rounding you up like Dumbledore is like a partisan in this for sure and like Dumbledore is by far the fairest juror there here's what they should do they should get 12 muggles have them hear the case they're used to jury trials and then just obliviate them after they've decided no to- they shouldn't totally do that. totally neutral no they shouldn't do that no stake all. in the magical world no but they don't have to then they won't like you have to do so much, like, jury training Bring there. them up to speed. That's too expensive. Okay. That's not a good idea. No, they should do what we do, which is have a fucking jury of your peers. All right, yeah. So you don't have a... Clearly, you don't have the right to trial by jury of your peers in the you wizarding world. also don't have a right to any kind of legal representation. <laughs> they just come in. They're chained up I in know. this, like, torture <laughs> chair. <laughs> and they're just like, what do you have to say? And they're like, I didn't do it. Or, like, I maybe did it. Or, like, here's some names. Maybe you'll let me out of this torture torture prison yeah, man also just having people accuse others good recipe for a literal witch hunt in this case well i mean that we have experience with as a muggle no i mean um, but society. I, it just it seems like a bad a bad well, move for crouch what seems like a worse move is not offering a plea deal until you have the information it's like it should go the other way around. That's not justice. We're, it's like, okay, well, tell us everything you know, and then maybe we'll, like, make up some random arbitrary, like, shortening of your sentence. Or maybe we'll just let you out tomorrow. <laughs> also, like, let's let you out of torture prison after you've been so psychologically scarred that you're significantly more likely to be dark than when you went in. But, like, give us a couple of names, and we'll tell you if we've already killed them. Yeah. Christ I, almighty. I don't know. It's all, it's all pretty bad. Is Rowling trying to say something, or does she just... I, I, I don't know. Why do you think it's constructed this way? 
Well, I think it goes back to our understanding of the wizarding world as like pretty backward in terms of its like a lot of its systems and like its bureaucracy. Yeah. Like it's not, again, it's not a democracy. Right. And this it's is like, pretty medieval. It's a medieval sort of like council or like arrangement. They're like just modernizing, kind of. Not like, even really. Like Dumbledore is the one. You're right. Let's give Dumbledore some more credit. Like he's the one who kind of thinks that all of this is bullshit. And he even says in this scene, like we talked about last week, he's like, I don't think that wizards should ally with the Dementors. I don't think we should send people to a prison that Dementors guard. I don't think it's good, which is like really radical. Yeah, and he tells Moody that, who is inclined to inclined to be pro-Dementor. That actually is a testament to their like closeness. Like you you do which is another reason why Dumbledore should fucking be able to see through this disguise, because yeah. Dumbledore and Moody are very close and they've no they've clearly like spent a lot of time working together and collaborating and they know a lot about each other's like beliefs and value systems and maybe Dumbledore should notice that it's changed a little. Ah, uh, yeah. So the last trial we get is the trial of these three Death Eaters and Barty Crouch Jr. who may or may not be one. So I actually forget. Um, and I don't want to look it up because this is going to be exciting for me. I don't remember if we find out whether he was like an actual Death Eater or just wrong place, wrong time. Mm, I don't remember either. What so. do you think? What's your prediction? Based on his fucking behavior this whole book, yeah. I know. I forget if it's like Azkaban and the rejection of his father like made him bad. I feel like, yeah, he at the end he's kind of like, oh, I was like... Back then, I was, like, already a loyal servant, and I, like, you know, poor stuttering Professor Quirrell. Like, he's like, nah, I've been in in it the whole time. Yeah, that that's how I feel, but I don't, I don't, you can tell this is a reread podcast, because... I don't remember. I, like, know somewhere in the recesses of my brain, but I don't, I don't remember. He's certainly putting on a good show of pretending like he's innocent here. He also just doesn't want to go to Azkaban. Well, understandable. Understandably. Also, I Yo, mean, but I, if you hang out with Bellatrix Lestrange, like, yeah, but you know what's up, right? No, that's I guess victim that's, blaming. Not yeah. victim blaming. No, like, that's exactly why we don't. I mean, that's like. Well, that would clearly be enough to convict you in the ma- the court well, of magic, the council of magical law. Is enough to convict him. <laughs> You're right, though. Bellatrix is like pretty clear about what her whole fucking deal is. Like every minute of every day, to the point that even other Death Eaters are right. probably like Bellatrix. Like, shut the fuck up. I mean, if I was having like lunch dates with like Richard Spencer, you'd think I was probably all right. That's true. And I mean, unless you were a reporter, which you are. But no, you're... but if we were just like chilling together. Yeah. And okay. I like went to Charlottesville with like a tiki torch. I don't even like the, this like analogy. I don't even like to think about this. But yeah, that's fair. So it doesn't seem like, I mean, I guess we only see the very end of these trials. But also like, do they actually present like evidence this seems like just the sentencing yeah i guess that's true so we don't know a ton about how the actual trials go down except we do know there aren't wizard lawyers right so they must just all testify on their own behalf i cannot believe there's no wizard lawyers because wizards are so incredibly rules-based and bureaucratic that you'd think there'd be a booming market for this maybe it's against the law maybe it's against i don't know like i I mean half of what the kids do in book three is basically casework 
for Buckbeak. Yeah, but it doesn't seem like anybody else. There's legal briefs. They go through like. Yeah, they do go through case files. They basically like write an amicus brief for him. Yeah. So clearly, like law exists, but people who practice law—everyone's just an amateur in the wizarding weird. world. It's weird. I mean, that's just yourself. true in general about that. I mean, we've talked about it already. Everybody's like an amateur, like doctor. Well, I guess everyone basically just finishes the equivalent of a high school degree, and, and then, then it's just like here's get, some potions to you grow like, your bones. You get like apprenticeships after right. that, which is very medieval. Like Percy Weasley now is kind of high up he's like an 18 year old like yeah minister yeah which is so weird so last thing is the hardest thing yeah we learn about neville's parents who were tortured with the cruciatus curse into madness by this group of four death eaters that bellatrix and barty are in and now no longer recognize their Neville. son yeah. or his grandmother. So yeah, we learn why Neville grew up with his grandmother. We learn that Neville is a sweet, brave, beautiful soul who's been keeping this horrible, dark secret, which is rough. And Harry has this moment where he's like, God, I am a dick. It never occurred to me to ask Neville, like, why he grew up with his grandmother and, like... But at the same time, he thinks that. And I'm like, that actually would have been kind of rude. Neville clearly doesn't want people to know. So maybe it's, like, polite that Harry never asked him, like, hey, where are your parents? Everybody knows where Harry's parents are, and that's kind of hard for him. Well, maybe he's more just thinking in general that he never even tried to, like, ask Neville about his life. Right, or, like, get to know him all that well. Mm-hmm. And, like, he has this idea of Neville as just this, like, kind of, like, dumb, bumbling kid that, or, like, kind of can't do anything right. Or Harry feels bad because he grew up without his parents and he never reached out to somebody else who had a similar experience. Yeah. So this is this is kind of where Harry's... Harry's never disliked Neville, but no. they haven't been. They've not been close. close. And Harry's this is kind of the this is like a sea change in their relationship and the reader's relationship yeah. with Neville. Also, this is a really, really good Dumbledore moment when Dumbledore is like, "Please don't say anything to any of your peers about Neville's parents." I didn't know that people didn't know, but it's his right to tell people when he's ready and in his own time. And to Harry's credit. He honors that. He doesn't even tell Ron and Hermione. Oh, wow. Because remember, they see Neville's parents at St. Mungo's in the next book, and it's the first time that they have understood Neville's story. So so Harry, to his vast credit, keeps this a secret. I mean, because he gets it. He knows that if he had the choice, he too would reveal what happened to his family in his own way and in his own time, and he does, he would rather people not all... No, the darkest thing that ever happened to him. Okay, but this was a famous trial. How does nobody at school know? How because do their don't, parents don't tell them? Because nobody talks about this shit. How does they don't Draco say, not use this as like a weapon against Neville? I don't. That's a good one. Or Hermione should have read this in like a book. Because they, I don't know. That's, a, that's, it doesn't matter. It's no, a good plot no, 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 element. No, 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 no. Yeah. I think no. I think that's a good question, and I think the answer is they don't talk about this shit at all. They don't learn the history of the Wizarding War. They don't even say Voldemort's name. Oh, yeah, this is something that is so taboo. Nobody talks about Harry's parents. Nobody ever talks about Harry's parents. 
Yeah, you're right. Like, I think this is something that just, like, even Draco, like, sort of darkly hints at stuff, but he doesn't even talk about, like, what actually happened. Like, this is just totally taboo. Professor Binns is teaching them, like, 14th century history. Like, it's not like he's teaching them, like, contemporary or, like, remotely recent. Maybe that seventh year. No, I don't think they <laughs> learn about it at all. I think this is, like, the wizarding world's, like, big open wound that just, like, nobody will touch. Dang, dude. It's really dark. Uh, who the fuck is St. Mungo? <laughs> I don't know. I really like that name, though. Do they have saints? I guess, well, they what celebrate he, Christmas. Who sainted him? I don't know. Is there a wizard pope? No, I don't know. who who By whom is he sanctified and for what is a good question. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. Also, do they ha- does that mean there's a wizarding only religion? Because St. Mungo is not a Christian saint. <laughs> that we know of. Did we look this up? Let's look it up. Hold on. All right, we took a short break from recording to... Uh, do an incredibly swift Wikipedia search. And there is a St. Mungo, was an apostle of the British kingdom of Strathclyde, uh, British historians, correct me if I'm mispronouncing that, in the late 6th century, and the founder and patron saint of the city of Glasgow. There is a St. Mungo. Never mind. So maybe we're learning even more (laughs) that they are, in fact, Christian. Is he the patron saint of, like, any kind of healing? Let's find out. Wikipedia says St. Mungo is the patron saint of those accused of infidelity, and he's also against bullies. The patron saint of being against bullies. What the fuck? Or something like that. Uh, Those accused of infidelity? If you didn't do it. That's a really specific thing to hey, be the patron a, of. There's a lot of saints. There are. There's a there's fuck a ton of saints. Heaven, That's a lot true. of saints. <laughs> there's a heaven of a lot. Uh-huh. Ha ha ha. Um, okay. It, it seemed wrong to say. So, gosh, we were wrong. There is, in fact, a Saint Mungo's. It doesn't seem like Wait, he has. Were the miracle working saints wizards and witches then? That's how they perform miracles. Oh my god. All of god. Catholicism is based on a misunder- a muggle misunderstanding of the nature of magic. Muggles so, venerate witches and wizards. Clearly. Wow, guys, we cracked this wide open. Saint Mungo and all of the rest of them just magic. Wow. Well, so they're not Christian. They actually just <laughs> came they they all I don't know what Christian, they. I don't know what they are. I don't know what their relationship I don't know with what Christianity this means. is. But why do they use the saint then? I don't know. Oh, this doesn't make any sense. Man. But I'm really into it. Okay, so basically, it's Mungo's all the you way know down. <laughs> I bet what actually happened is that she looked up really obscure Scottish saints and then just like picked a funny wizardy name. But what are we here for if not to speculate wildly about the nature of wizarding? ecclesiastical i don't know minutia jesus was a wizard jesus was a wizard that's in the harry potter universe yeah possibly um also the internet would melt if jk rowling got on and said that yeah well (laughs) don't say that joe but we'll say it for you who's your unsung hero my unsung hero is the actual mad eye moody who doesn't have his mad eye in the flashbacks why did he get that thing after the Wizarding War? Seemed like it would have been way more useful before. Yeah, that's fair. W- I don't when think and, he... When and where did he get this magical yeah. eye? Who made it? Once again, why the fuck do we have a Newt Scamander backstory movie and we have nothing on young Mad-Eye? Why do we not know? Also, did they call him Mad-Eye before he had a Mad-Eye? 
whoa, I don't know, but he's got two regular fucking eyes. Did he just, like, inception his way into a nickname that would be true in the future? What the fuck is happening in this episode? Everything is unraveling before our very eyes. I like like Mad-Eye and Dumbledore's relationship in these flashbacks. They seem to have have a good working understanding of each other. I'm not that into Mad-Eye's mania for hardcore punishment, but whatever. You need a good dark wizard catcher. Mad-Eye is one of the best. Yep. Mine is Ron, because when they're practicing stunning spells, Ron is very gamely. Like, yeah, you can stun me over and over and over. And Hermione, for once, is really the scaredy cat. And she's like, oh, look at the time. We might want to end for now. And it's (laughs) like, if we weren't stunning people, you would never want to stop studying. Good old Ron. Putting his body on the line. Yeah, Ron is out here putting his body on the line. So here's some... This has been a really kind episode to Dumbledore and Ron. So see, you guys, we have nuanced opinions. This week's episode is brought to you by the Pensieve. Accomplish more than you ever thought possible. The audiobook clips you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. They are from Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you see fit. Please also rate and review us. We are at 98 reviews on Apple Podcasts. So why don't you bring us to an even 100? That would be very exciting. And we appreciate it in advance. We're on the socials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Quibbler Podcast. You can subscribe to our newsletter at tinyletter.com slash quibblerpodcast. Tell a friend. This is a continuation of last week's request that you share your love of Harry Potter and of the Quibbler with those near and dear to you. We hope that you're enjoying it. And yeah, if you are, tell someone. Next week, we are continuing Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. We're actually almost done, as evidenced by the fact that next week's chapters are The Third Task and, horrifyingly, Flesh, Blood, and Bone. So get ready for a death. Woo! Thanks, amigos! Father, I didn't! It's all there, black and white, clear as crystal. You stole fizzy lifting drinks. Father. You bumped into the ceiling, which now has to be washed and sterilized, so you get nothing. I didn't do it. It wasn't me. You lose. Good day, sir. You mean that stuff's your thoughts? Harry said, staring at the swirling white substance in the basin. Certainly said Dumbledore. Let me show you. By getting all things that we can't resolve in this moment into an external brain, we can free up mental space, be fully engaged with the current task we're doing, and be fully present with the people in our lives. David's Getting Things Done system, GTD for short, leverages a nice brain hack. The fact that we can relieve the brain of the anxiety of unresolved items by simply capturing them appropriately. You see, when we think of could-dos, should-dos, or things we've agreed to do, and we haven't appropriately captured them or completed them, there's a part of our brain that actively thinks...